Welcome to SuitsCast Episode 1. This podcast is for anyone that works with clients at an ad or marketing agency, also known as a suit traditionally. This is your chance to hear from client service veterans and other industry professionals on everything advertising and account management related. My hope is every episode will all get a little better at what we do every day. Good day to everyone. You have entered the land of suits cast. I am your host, Brooklyn Cravens. Thank you for listening in. I recently read the book, What Clients Really Want, and I highly recommend this book. And the author, Chantel Glenville, is actually here on the show, and I'm super excited to talk to her. She has written this fantastic book about account management, which we're going to dig into today. Before she wrote this book, she spent years on the account management side at agencies, working her way up from a media executive all the way to an account director, switching over to client side for a little bit of time, and then now ultimately has her own marketing consulting firm where she helps small to mid-sized businesses get their marketing chops right and uh, just overall preparing for the advertising world. How are you doing today, Chantel? Great. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for being on the show. Like I said, I am an absolute huge fan of what clients really want. I, I got it very recently. I think I, I usually take my time with books, but I couldn't put it down. I finished it. And I think I think about two days was the longest I could keep from, from not reading more. And, and whether a listener is a bookworm, they'll get through it super quick like I did. If they like to take their time and do a chapter at a time, I love how the book is uh, each chapter is short, sweet, and directly to the point. So it's, it's a fantastic book. What really drove you to, to write? this book? So the main motivating factor was what you mentioned just a little while ago, that my background is in advertising agencies originally, but then I went and moved client side. And when I moved client side, I had a number of realizations. And one of the key ones was that over the years, I'd worked for and with agencies of varying sizes, different specialities, both when I was client side and agency side. And that actually it was the same reoccurring themes time and time again that were coming up and breaking down client relationships. And it's so important as agencies that we don't allow client relationships to break down because great creative work is not enough to retain clients in the long term. You actually need to have a great relationship or you're going to lose clients. So I wrote the book to help people who haven't been client side or maybe just never even want to go client side understand what it's really like to actually be a client. Because crazily enough, there's nothing else out there that's actually written by a client on how to create great client relationships. It's all written from an ad agency point of view. It's true. And uh, that's that's one thing that I think if you if you aren't looking too hard, it's easy to miss. But there are parts of the the book or intros to the book where it mentions written by an ex-client. So it is true that that perspective of a client coming in and swinging in to help agencies is really cool. Was that was that because of uh, your your years in the agency side and kind of your, your love for the industry overall? Oh, yeah, I absolutely love the industry. And I've just I've seen too many agencies lose clients for reasons that they shouldn't, you know, when it's just a breakdown in the relationship and actually the creative work, the reason we're all there in the first place is still great. And it's such a shame when that happens. But the difficulty is that, you know, without being client side at any point, there can be a lack of understanding as to what it's like to be a client. And so people don't always realize that certain behaviors are causing problems in the relationship. 
It's true. And also, too, before I get a little too ahead of myself, I forgot to mention that in addition to your consulting firm, uh, you recently started mastering account management, which actually was one of the ways that I initially uh, heard about you and then and then listened to your interview on a HubSpot podcast. So mastering account management is in addition to the book that you wrote, that website is a hub of resources for account managers, correct? Yes, absolutely. And it talks about everything from how to create great client relationships to how to improve your presentation skills or better work out time management, just everything that if someone doesn't tell you and help you with along the way, you could spend years learning on your own. And so frequently agencies are so busy with everyone running around trying to get all the client work out that they forget to train their staff properly and actually save what could be years of development by just sharing this information. It's funny hearing when you talk about what agencies do or don't do correctly. It really just goes to show that we're all human at the end of the day because, you know, you being overseas, us being over here on the other side of the world, those problems are, are all the same. So it's, it, it is a very helpful website, and I'm glad that you have provided that in addition to the book. Now, you mentioned when you went client side, you kind of saw these same recurring theme, themes with different agencies that you were working with. Was there any one big epiphany or glaring issue that stood out to you or was it really that kind of just recurrent theme? Um, So I think the biggest epiphany really was that there were a lot of behaviors which seem really inconsequential when you're agency side that actually have a really big impact on clients' lives. Like there were so many things that I went, when I went client side, it suddenly hit me that that was why they mattered. But I never realized before, I never realized why those tensions were arising in the relationships. Um, Because there's all these small behaviors which aren't small for clients, but we just don't know that. So I I always think of it as there are two elements to creating great client relationships. And the first thing we have to do is stop doing these things that are damaging the client relationship. Because once we do that, then we can get our client relationships to an okay base level. And we kind of, we tend to assume that our client relationships are at an okay baseline. Say like, you know, if your client relationship score is between zero being completely neutral and 10 being great, we assume it's at zero. But actually a lot of the time it's not because we've been performing these small actions over time repeatedly that have been damaging the relationships and we haven't even realized. So actually we're starting from like a minus two and there's no way we're ever going to get to 10 until we first get to naught and then we can start working on taking it from good to great. Finding that source, providing a, an accurate assessment of how the relationship is actually going is, is the best way to start. I agree with that completely. And you mentioned a lot of the little behaviors are, are actually already undermining so many client agency relationships. In your experience, both agency and client side, whether a listener is a a brand new junior AE or maybe it's someone senior level, like a director or a VP of accounts, what what is really across the board a a really common mistake that a lot of folks make if, if there is a top one? I think the one that affects people the most, regardless of experience, that at any level um, people are most likely to fall foul to is actually assuming clients got the message. And I think that's probably the most common one because it's all too easy to assume that because you're working, the client is also working. And so a lot of the time in agencies, you see this behavior where agencies are sending through work and they're expecting fast feedback and approval and amends, but they've sent through the work at like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the evening (laughs) and they don't follow up. They just send an email and then they're sat there going like, "Why, why hasn't the client written back to me? What's going on? Why haven't they, you know, why are they ignoring me? 
because they just assume the client is working because they're working. And agency side, at least in my experience, if you get out the office at 6.30, that's like an active achievement, you know? <laughs> right. I used to high-five myself <laughs> when that happened. But life just isn't like that for a lot of clients. A lot of the time, client side, people get in really early. Like, you know, even if you get in 7 a.m. client side, you may not be the first person in the office. But there's more of a tendency to leave bang on 5.30. And so great. You're at your agency, you're working away, you're sending your work at 6.30. No one's there to look at it. Unless you've told the client in advance that it's coming through, it's not going to be reviewed. And so then that pushes out timings and then causes different difficulties along the way. And obviously, you know, it's different for every agency. It's different for every client, the hours they'll work. But the important point behind it is that you need to have these conversations with your clients, work out what hours they do work, when they will be there, what the process is for if you do need urgent approvals when they're not likely to be there, so that these things don't fall through the cracks. And you see it happen even with people high up in client services, just assuming, well, I'm working, so they should be too, right? Right. And, and it's a, it is definitely a dangerous assumption to make. And it's funny because in outside of work, I think in our personal relationships, we all would say, you know, with, with someone that we're, we're dating or married to or what have you, you know, you, you want to have an open dialogue with them about whatever's going on, or if you've got something important going on. And obviously a client agency relationship isn't that deep, but you kind of want to almost extend that same level of communication where it's like, Hey, if there's a big deal going on, or if there's a big assignment or a big creative piece, I'm going to send you, you want to let them know. So I think that's really good, a good piece of advice. And it's interesting that we all do so often forget that perspective. And it's that perspective that I really enjoy about the book is that you really kind of write every chapter from that client perspective and you write it very well. Why, why was it important for you to take that approach in the book? Ultimately, because client services, as far as I'm concerned, are the owners of the client relationships in the agency. That's actually one of our main areas of expertise and value that we offer to clients as an agency and as a client service person. You know, obviously you need to be strategic to work in client services, but there's also usually a planning department whose literal job it is to be strategic and you need to be creative. But again, there's also a creative department. There's no other department which is dedicated to managing client relationships. And so I do see it as something that agencies and the client service departments do need to work on. We do need to focus on being experts in it. And so I wanted to couch it in these problems that come up because the whole point is to provide an understanding of what it's like to be a client so people can truly understand the effect different actions might have on their clients' lives. And it's hard to properly manage any relationship without a proper understanding of what another person's life is like and the pressures they have at play and the different things they have going on internally. It's true. And there's definitely, and you you do mention this and, and you've mentioned this before, there's usually a lot of little tasks going on all at the same time. Uh, account managers, especially if you're at a smaller agency, are managing well more than one client, sometimes as many as five, six, seven, or eight yep. of different sizes with different needs, different industries potentially. And and I'm sure you you understand this. It's almost one of those things of easier said than done. But at the same time, the relationship is still there. The agencies are still getting paid. So these these mistakes need to be overcome. And like you said, a lot of it comes down to empathy and being able to put yourself in the client's shoes. Do you have any 
habits or any tips that a suit can use on really a daily basis to remind themselves to have that sense of empathy for their clients? Being aware of the fact that empathy is needed in the first place is really one of the most important steps in order to getting better at client relationship management. That realization that it's not actually about you and whether, for example, you adhere to your timings. It's not about you in that situation. What it's actually about is the effect that missing those timings might have on your client. So flipping the way you start thinking about things. And there are two ways uh, to practice the skill. And the more you practice, the more naturally better you will get at it. And the easier it will come to you and the less you have to actively think about it. So the two ways I suggest are, first of all, ask your client questions. Ask them about everything. When they say they need work to be like this or they make a request that you think is maybe slightly unreasonable, ask them why they're making that request. You know, what the pressure is going on in their business that has caused that request to come in with such hideous timings or such a hideous budget or whatever it is, so that then you can help them overcome that problem. Because, you know, the chances are they didn't make that request for shits and giggles. There's something going on that's driving that. So have those open, honest conversations. Your clients will respect you and like you more for it. And it will show that you're actually truly trying to understand them. The second way to practice it is also you can do it internally. If you know, you're a bit worried about asking the client or you've only got a really senior contact, I would still encourage you to do it. But if you're not quite there yet, start off by asking yourself internally what might be the driving factors between, behind the client's requests. You know, usually you can work out quite a lot of them for yourself as long as you start asking the question and thinking about the impact that any of your actions might have. That's a great word. And asking those questions of yourself, thinking of what your client may be going through and what the deeper reason is, it definitely, like you said, it, it shows yourself, of course, what the reason is, but it also shows your client that you are thinking about them more deeply than necessarily what they hired you for on paper. And I think that that is important because one of the dangers, and you you cover this in your book as well, is there's there's this danger of being subservient and being an order taker. And it's something that I think a lot of agencies struggle with. And I, a lot of my friends that are in the space, and I'm sure you've got plenty of contacts in the space that that sometimes can fall into that with clients. You become a, a yes man, an order taker, and you kind of stop being on that partner level. Why do you think that is such a common pitfall in this industry? I think it happens so frequently because we feel like if we treat someone like they're royalty and run around kissing their ass, that they're going to think we're showing them respect. And it will make them think that we think they're smart by agreeing to everything they say. If someone agrees to everything, you assume they think you have valid points. So we do it to make the clients feel good, essentially. And also it makes our lives easier agency side, because if you don't you know, disagree with your client, if you just say yes to everything, then you don't actually have to debate anything. You don't have to spend that extra time working out that you're not going to do exactly what the client wants, but you're going to go to this compromise solution instead. All of that's taken away if you say yes. But the problem is when you do that, you make yourself just a service provider. And there are a lot of service providers out there. You know, say you're a digital agency that maybe specializes in website development. Well, right now I could do a little search and find thousands of other agencies that offer that service too. And a lot of them who may well be cheaper even. So 
there are a lot of options for a client. You have to be adding extra value. And that's what you need to think about. What is the extra value that you add? The reason they have come to you is not just because you can do the functional thing they require, but because you have expertise. And so actually, by not saying yes, and instead offering advice, how things could be done, how things could be made better, how you think things should change given the wider marketing mix, etc. You are then putting your agency in a position where you're adding value. You're elevating yourselves above just being that service provider and being replaceable. You're making yourselves a partner. And partnerships aren't a relationship where one person is subservient to the other. You need to be equals and you need to both respect and trust each other for that to work. Yeah, those those are great points. And I think kind of going back to when you mentioned that it might make your life a little easier if you do kind of take the approach of compromise and always being an order taker. It, it will definitely make your life a little easier in the short term client side. But uh, I I think just uh, in, in seeing it happen uh, on a day to day basis at times, it, it definitely internally with creative and media teams that they, they start to really, I think, resent the account people. <laughs> because yes, there's yeah, no absolutely. there's no uh, stopping point for what projects are coming in and what what an agency is saying yes to at that point. So I think you'd also be saving a lot of headaches for the team internally, which then would obviously help your your personal job. But uh, no, those are those are a great points. And and I think too the the other answer you provided before about asking why for all of the reasoning when a client asks for something, challenging them to kind of think in in some ways about why they want something to be changed a certain way or why they're requesting an ad to look a certain way. I think that also helps with preventing that order taker mentality because if you're if you're asking them why and almost in a friendly way kind of challenging their reasoning behind it it's like you said it builds that genuine respect not that that kind of fake respect that we think we're doing if we're just saying yes to everything so jumping back a little bit to your history in the space so you primarily and correct me if i'm wrong here i think primarily you were on the agency side and then ultimately went to the client side which then ultimately led you to write the book uh what what really led you to jump client side after having such a successful career with agencies i wanted to get more inside uh, more involved in the business side of things i think uh, sometimes agencies can have a tendency to get somewhat removed from the direct results of campaigns and things can end up being slightly fluffier than they should be essentially. So I wanted to go client side in order to focus more on actually, you know, achieving objectives with the marketing work that you're doing on actually increasing revenue and building businesses, because at the end of the day, that's the whole point of marketing and advertising. And Given I had been agency side, being able to then find that balance before between driving proper effectiveness and creativity at the same time really appealed to me. Those are good reasons. I think I think building that that client side perspective is very important, and I think it's you know it's it's yielded results like what what you're doing now. The the path that you were taking in your life is a result of the insights you learned from that. So I I think that's a really cool thing. Let's say that a listener is here and they're thinking, you know what going client side, maybe something for me down the road. I don't know. I just love this industry and I love being in the agency space. How can listeners today build similar client side experience where they're at now on agency side? It's obviously more difficult without going client side, but absolutely you can do it without actually being a client. The main thing is you know, you have clients there you can talk to that you can learn from. You know, I'm, I have a marketing consultancy now. I won't touch a client until I understand their business. Like even if they just want a couple of hours of marketing consultancy to look over some comms they developed, 
I'm not going to touch it until I understand how their business works, what the pressures at play in their business are, how they increase revenue normally, you know, how the business model actually works, because otherwise I can't provide effective advice for them. And that's the same agency side, you know, getting to know your clients and actually the properly in-depth of their business will really make a difference to how you then manage those relationships because you'll actually understand what the things are that they're trying to achieve. You'll properly understand it and you'll understand all the pressures that are at play for them and how the system works in their organization. Um, And just that awareness will allow you more so to always be thinking of the effect any actions you take part in might have for your clients. Well, and being in 2017, now almost 2018, you know, I think technology is so advanced, but one of the the unfortunate effects of technology is that it sometimes can get used to displace relationships and business relationships. And I think, like you said, getting into the habit of spending time with your clients, really understanding their business is unfortunately one of those areas where technology can really hamper things. You know, those face-to-face encounters are still absolutely important. You know, what what is kind of your rule of thumb when it comes to meeting with clients face-to-face and dedicating that time to getting to know them better? If you can meet clients face-to-face, absolutely do it. But Obviously, sometimes there are constraints. Sometimes it may be a small client. And so your agency hasn't built in enough time for you to actually make the journey to go to your client's offices, etc. But that's where you can also use technology to your benefit. You know, you could distance yourself from the relationship and just send emails. Or you could have a Skype call with the client and you could have regular Skype calls with the client where you can actually see their face. And seeing someone's face makes a really big difference to how you build a relationship because then you feel more attached to them. Like I used to work with agencies when I was client side where I had never even seen the people before. I could barely remember their name because I had no real associations with them. They were just a person that occasionally sent me an email saying, we need this approved. And I'm like, oh, sorry, who are you again? Um, (laughs) Genuinely though, I mean, I worked with like six agencies at the same time. Teams would change over. We wouldn't meet half the staff, you know? So use technology to your advantage if you can't go to the actual client's offices. Have a Skype call. Or if you can go to the client's offices, but don't have, say, like a whole day that you can block out just for their work, go and work from their offices. That's the wonderful thing about the internet. You can work from wherever. So you can be there. You can be physically present to have meetings with them, to talk to them. But in between, you can be working on other client work. You can make it work for you. You just have to dedicate the time and energy to working out the best solution. That's great advice. I think all of that is is true and a good thing. Now, jump and ship a little bit. I do want to talk to you and pick your brain about a, a trend that I think is coming into the advertising world. Well, it's already here, but marketing side, it's it's still being developed of uh, voice search. Uh, and, you know, here and, and I apologize for my ignorance. Here we have Alexa, you know, with the Echo devices and Google Home. I'm assuming it's something similar where you're at. I don't know if there's different devices, but obviously voice search is something that has been developing with smartphones in recent years. But now with these home voice search devices, it's really kind of changing the game. And from a personal standpoint, I like it because I think it's putting the focus back on listening, whereas I think there's always been a concern over how screens are affecting our attention spans. But what do you think that technology in the marketing and ad space, what do you think that's going to look like in a couple of years? Is it is it going to take off? Is it is it going to be just something that, that dies like a, a, so many other trends? I think it's very unlikely to just die, but 
it could completely change. So that's always the difficult thing about predicting what's going to happen in a couple of years is there's there's two answers. There's two ways to approach it usually. So there's the standard answer of whether it will continue developing along the path it's been developing or die. I think with voice search, that's quite unlikely. There's still quite a spectrum of places it could go and a lot more develop that, that could happen. So for example, you know, making it so the ordering functionality gets better and it has more control over your home. So actually, you don't really need a tablet. Your house kind of becomes your computer and you talk to it to ask for whatever you want. And maybe it develops even so far as to the fact that you can say, oh, I've got a meeting on Tuesday at X time in whatever location. And you ask your house to put it in your calendar. And then you go out to your car, which is also synced to it on Tuesday to leave. And it already has the GPS coordinates put in for you to take you there. You know, there's a lot of growth within that area that could still happen to make basically to make all of your appliances and your house and your car and everything smart and integrated together. However, there's also the left field option, which there always is pretty much with anything development based, especially with technology. So for example, in 1883, if you'd said to someone, what do you think the development, the future of horse-drawn carriages will be for the next couple of years? They're going to talk about improvements in the features of carriages, you know, like better wheels, stronger whips, etc. GPS devices. <laughs> improvements within that realm of that item. But in 1885, the first petrol car came out, which suddenly it doesn't matter then if you've got a slightly better horse-drawn carriage because, well, you're no longer competing against horse-drawn carriages. There are petrol cars. And so... It's there's always that option of someone coming in and just completely revolutionizing the game. So I think, you know, voice activated control over a lot of elements of our lives is going to keep developing. But I wouldn't rule out the possibility of someone just coming in with something that completely blows it out the water. Oh, yeah. And it's it's a it's an interesting consideration. It's it's just funny. You hear the rumors now with voice search marketing like you can't technically you're there's nothing you can really do paid marketing side with something like, uh, you know, the Alexa technology. But you hear the rumors about, oh, you know, Facebook is using, you know, what what you say to your your smartphone, or your iPhone and Siri searches. And all of a sudden you see ads for those things on Facebook. But magically, if you try to search or Google that type of technology, it's nowhere to be found. So it's uh, it's interesting to see how it is developing. And it's just uh, as, as technology, smart technology creeps more and more into the home and in our cars, it's going to be interesting to see where, where advertising goes to it. I, I think from a personal standpoint, it, it definitely can sometimes be a little creepy if yeah, you think about it too creepy. much. <laughs> But at the same time, I mean, you know, that's that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the, the industry was saying, you know, advertising is going to get more tailored and younger generations are going to be OK with it because you're going to get ads that you want to see, not not just kind of those that that general mass media wasted impression style ads. So it's uh, it's one of those things where it, it seems like it could be creepy, but then for some reason, people end up being comfortable with it. So I think this just about wraps up our time. I've had such a great time chatting with you, Chantel. Thank you so much for your time. I do have to end the show with a, a fun curveball question, as is my tradition here. And my curveball question for you, being originally from the UK, from people who aren't from the UK, like myself, what is the one stereotype about the UK that you absolutely hate the most? Ooh, I don't know which one I hate the most. I think the one I enjoy the most is that people think British people are kind of standoffish <laughs> and rude, which, I mean, that's pretty true, actually. So I can't, I, like, I can't really argue with that. Like, talk to a random stranger on the subway in England, and they will look at you like you're insane. Like, you just don't talk to people. Right. 
now at some point when I go over there, I'm probably going to be thinking that like, mm, did these people just absolutely not like me right now? So yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, no, but at least good. if you accept it at the start, you can embrace it. You know. I was going to say my my like like a good agency client relationship. My expectations have been managed yes, now, so I, I know what I'm getting into. <laughs> so. Well, Chantel, thank you again for being on the show. You had some fantastic pieces of advice for for all of us that's that's tuning in today. If any listeners want to get in touch with you or have some additional resources, you had mentioned that you set up something really cool at Mastering Account Management. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So at masteringaccountmanagement.com, if you type in that forward slash suitscast, um, I've set up a link there so that you can go there and download eight tips to improve attention to detail, which is one of the things I find that damages client relationships the most. It's an excerpt from my book. It's absolutely free. Uh, just as a little thank you to your listeners. And thank you very much for providing that. That's that's a great resource. And if anyone wants to personally get in touch with you, either to ask a question or just kind of pick your brain about something, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, uh, they can just send me an email at hello at masteringaccountmanagement.com. Perfect. And I will put all of this in show notes, in the show notes for any listeners that are trying to find something to write on or type on. So don't worry there. But Chantel, thank you again. I hope you have a lovely day over in Bali or well, I guess now it's nighttime. So I hope you have a great evening um, where <clears throat> for the time we're talking. But thank you again and uh, looking forward to keeping in touch. Thank you very much. And a huge thank you to all the guy and gal listeners out there. This is the end of another episode of SuitsCast. If you ever have a burning question you'd love to hear addressed in the show, or maybe you just want to get in touch with me and leave some feedback, I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at suitscast at gmail.com. One more time, that's suitscast at gmail.com. And lastly, if you'd like to support SuitsCast, there are two ways you can do so. The first way, if you haven't done so already, is to subscribe so you'll know exactly when the next episode is ready for your next listening session. And secondly, head on over to Apple Podcasts app if you aren't already there and leave a review for the show. Let me know and potential listeners know exactly what your thoughts are on SuitsCast. And with that, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again so much. See you next time and Suits out.